friends, welcome to Log On at 11, Spurgeon Baptist Church's online presence during this current COVID season. We're going to follow what has become our usual pattern for one of these things, uh, just using a, a little liturgy to hold everything together. Uh, if you've got a print copy in front of you, everything in bold type is what we say together. Everything in light type. Uh, I shall say on my own. If you're following on the screen, everything in yellow type is what we say together. So let's begin. In the beginning, before time, before people, before the world began, God was. Here and now, among us, beside us, enlisting the people of the earth for the purposes of heaven, God is. In the future, when we will have turned to dust and all we know has found its fulfilment, God will be. Let us pray. Loving God, you are faithful, just and forgiving. Help us now to grasp the greatness of your love. Where we have failed to love and loved to hurt, forgive us and heal us. Where we have scorned difference and have been indifferent to those in need, forgive us and heal us. Where we have spoken harsh words to others and have been quick to take offence ourselves, forgive us and heal us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. At a future church meeting, church members will have the opportunity to vote for the next president of the Baptist Union. That will be the person that follows Jeff Colmer. Jeff Colmer's presidential year will start a little bit later, uh, towards the end of the spring this year. And when he comes to the end of his year, this time next year, uh, there'll be someone to take his place. We've got the chance to vote for who that might be. Uh, all of the candidates have just recorded a very brief video clip and we'll see one each week for the next few weeks until we've exhausted the supply to help us make our minds up. I don't know any of these folk. I've never met them uh, and I only know um, what you know, and I'll only know um, the same as you as we see these things unfold. So let's hear from today's candidate. Hi, I'm Hayley Young, and I'm the Regional Minister, Mission Enabler for the South Wales Baptist Association. I'm also the minister at Romney Baptist Church in Cardiff. I've been in local pastoral ministry now for just over 13 years. And that's taken me from Southern Counties to Central Baptist Association and now here in South Wales. I was called into ministry in my early 20s and I studied at Spurgeon's College. When I was in local pastoral ministry, I had the joy of serving as a prison chaplain and school chaplain. 
I have a passion and a desire to see people come to know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. And for us as churches to be released in creative ways of mission. Growing up in a non-Christian home, I discovered the power of Jesus's resurrection when I was 17. And since then, God's called me into ministry and I've learned to lead out of a place of vulnerability. I've known the highs and lows of all that ministry and mission bring. I believe that Jesus threw the best parties and so should the church. In the words of C.S. Lewis, we need to be in the serious business of joy at the very heart of our community. I believe that the local church should be about people who are hungry to live out the way of Jesus. I believe in the power of God to change lives. But we're living in times where things are rapidly changing. In the previous year, we've all been affected by COVID-19 and that's had huge implications for all of us changes in church life, how we gather, how we worship, how we be community, how we communicate online, how we support and disciple. We face a difficult time ahead. Economic changes, food bank uses increased, the mental health of our young people, our middle-aged people, our old people, anxiety and depression. The challenges we face ahead of us with climate change and global warming. 43% of us feel isolated and lonely. COVID-19 has made us stop and look at the world around us. Many of us have been exposed to the ugly truths of divided communities, divided by race, gender, religion, economic circumstances. This division isn't just words, but a dark reality for many people who are excluded, murdered, discriminated against and more. The past year has caused us to look at ourselves and to look at the church, to reflect on our own bias and privilege, something which we still need to work on. But we need to move from reflection to action and change behaviour. So where is the hope? Well, the hope is Jesus, who we see in the Gospels as taking part in the act of sharing a meal, the act of breaking bread as a way of letting people know that they were seen, heard, known and respected. The hope is Jesus, who uses those common moments to host the most sacred, creating a tangible reality for the spiritual. Jesus, who uses the table as an altar, around which he welcomed everyone to experience communion with God and with each other. The hope is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, dwelling in our local communities, up and down the country, across our nations. 
As a Baptist movement, we have the opportunity to bring Jesus to our communities by expanding the table, by providing the kind of hospitality that equally embraces everyone, not pulling some close and keeping others at a distance. I believe this message can be communicated from our traditional churches to our different expressions of church, from our missional communities to our coffee mornings, from the pulpits to the school gates. We have a challenge ahead of us about how we create a bigger table to welcome more people, to learn, to hear, to listen, to know, to respect. Sometimes we can do a whole load of talking and not enough listening. The simple act of creating and sharing space with each other is a sacred offering. And in a world where there's a lot of noise, where people shout their opinion to strangers online, Jesus shows us a radical hospitality to pull up a chair and listen. It's one thing to personally accept Jesus' amazing grace and another to avoid hoarding it to ourselves. It's always easier to live life with a closed fist rather than an open hand. And yet Jesus calls us to have open hands and offer hospitality. As a Baptist movement, we have a challenge ahead of us. How do we relate to the culture around us and in a digital world? In the coming years, millennials will soon make up the vast majority of the global workforce. In 2030, they will represent 75% of the working population. Will they represent 75% of our churches? Everything is changing at a fast rate. And in the midst of this change, we have a generation that are already redefining the world in which they want to live. I would like to encourage our churches and missional communities to find ways of creating authentic community online, embracing our Baptist DNA of radical dissent and enabling a culture where all generations are involved and heard. I believe we need to create this space in both the world we live and the digital world we inhabit to build a bigger table. And as we pull up a chair, we will be an authentic, hopeful, compassionate, challenging and Jesus-focused community. Our distinctions of race, gender, orientation and place of origin have meant that for some of us in the Baptist family, it's been really difficult. While for others, it's been relatively easy to embrace their calling and access ministry and mission. As disciples of Jesus, these distinctions all reveal the unlimited beauty of the one who is the source of each of us. I believe that this rich diversity is the holy ground where God speaks. We need to learn to create a bigger table.
it's a privilege to be nominated for the Baptist Union presidency. And if called, I'd encourage us all across our family and movement to pull up a chair. On the third day, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. Taking his relatives with him, he pursued Jacob for seven days and caught up with him in the hill country of Gilead. Then God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream at night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country of Gilead when Laban overtook him, and Laban and his relatives camped there too. Then Laban said to Jacob, What have you done? You've deceived me, and you've carried off my daughters like captives in war. Why did you run off secretly and deceive me? Why didn't you tell me so I could send you away with joy and singing to the music of timbrels and harps? You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters goodbye. You have done a foolish thing. I have the power to harm you. But last night the God of your father said to me, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone off because you long to return to your father's household. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered Laban, I was afraid, because I thought you would take your daughters away from me by force. But if you find anyone who has your gods, that person shall not live. In the presence of our relatives, see for yourself whether, it, whether there is anything of yours here with me, and if so, take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen their gods. So Laban went into Jacob's tent, and into Leah's tent, and into the tent of the two female servants, but he found nothing. After he came out of Leah's tent, he entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them inside her camel's saddle and was sitting on them. Laban searched through everything in the tent but found nothing. Rachel said to her father, Don't be angry, my lord, that I cannot stand up in your presence. I'm having my period. So he searched but could not find the household gods. Jacob was angry and took Laban to ask, what is my crime? he asked Laban. How have I wronged you that you hurt me then? Now that you have searched for all my goods, what have you found that belongs to your household? Both it's here in front of your relatives and mine, and let them judge between the two of us. I've been with you for twenty years now. Your sheep and goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten rams from your flocks. I do not bring you animals torn by wild beasts, I bore myself, I, I bore the loss myself. And you demand payment from me for whatever was stolen by day or night. This was my situation. The heat consumed me in the daytime at cold and the cold at the night. And sleep fed from my eyes. It was like this for the twenty years I was in your household. I worked for you fourteen years. I worked for you fourteen years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks, and you changed my wages ten times. If the God my, of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been with me, you would surely have sent me away empty-handed. The God has seen my hardship and my toil of my hands, and last night he rebuked you.
Laban answered Jacob, The women are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks. All you see is mine. It will, yet what can I do about these daughters of mine, or about the children they are born? Come now, let's make a convent for you, and I let's serve a witness between us. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. He said to his relatives, Gather some stones. So they took stones and piled them in a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jager Sahadutha, and Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me today. That is why it is called Galid. It was also called Mizpah, because he said, May the Lord keep watch between you and me when we are away from each other. If you mistreat my daughters, or if you take any wives besides my daughters, even though no one is with us, remember that God is witness between you and me. Laban also said to Jacob, Here is this heap, and here is this pillar I have set up between you and me. This heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness, that I will not go past this heap to your side to harm you, and that you will not go past this heap and pillar to my side to harm me. May the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob took an oath in the name of the fear of his father Isaac. He offered a sacrifice there in the hill country and invited his relatives to a meal. After they had eaten, they spent the night there. Early the next morning, Laban kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then he left and returned home. Uh, the next instalment in the Jacob saga. Jacob has gathered up his wives and flocks and family and possessions and is making his way back uh, home. He's been away for 20 years, all told. Uh, but now God has prompted him to return. And this is part of God's promise to him, isn't it? The promise that he made at Bethel. Uh, you will have descendants. Uh, you will return to your family and I will be with you. And we're, we're now moving towards home and a meeting with Brother Esau, but we're not there yet there's some stuff to do um he's gathered up all of his wives his family's flocks his herds and he hasn't told uncle laban <laughs> he's just got everybody together and he's left uh he's terminated his employment got everybody together and he's gone laban uh is not at all happy uh three days later he realises that Jacob has gone and the chase is on. Uh, hot pursuit. Uh, Laban finds out, he sets off. Jacob's on the run again. This is <laughs> deja vu, isn't it? We've been here before. Um, the early part of the story is running away from his family and here we are again. Um, in that first case, in that first flight, God met him, didn't he, as we said, uh, at a place which Jacob renamed Bethel and that's where the covenant between the two of them was formed uh, and Jacob became very aware uh, of who he was and of God's uh, loving hand upon him. 
here we are. Uh, Laban is angry. He wants to get to Jacob. Who knows what he's going to do when he catches up with him? The chase is on. Seven days later, uh, he does catch up with him. Is there going to be a fight? Well, actually, no, there isn't. Because this time, God has spoken to the pursuer. God has spoken to Laban and has warned him off, harming Jacob. And that rather takes the wind out of Laban's sails. Laban can't do anything now. His power is gone. Uh, he acknowledges God's authority. Sometimes we may feel that we're being pursued. We, we may be a bit uncertain about what may, be hap what may happen when we're caught. Uh, we can be encouraged, friends, uh, as we reflect on this little part of the story. Um, we, there is one in heaven who intercedes for us. Jesus himself is at the right hand of the Father, speaking to him on our behalf all the time. Uh, and that rather takes the wind out of the sails of our enemies, just as it took the wind out of Laban's sails. Uh, Jesus has trampled down the accuser and has broken his power. Death was the ultimate weapon uh, for the enemy to use. And now even that has been taken away from him. Jesus rises from the dead. Um, death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? There's nothing now that the enemy, Satan, uh, can do to us. God intercedes and intervenes on Jacob's behalf. Um, God speaks and Laban is stopped in his tracks effectively. Whatever he had in mind, he can't do it now. Uh, Jesus intercedes with God on our behalf. Uh, more than that, he has thoroughly and completely broken the power of our enemies. We can have confidence in him. Even if, our, even if our enemies were to catch up with us, there's nothing that they can do to us. So we've had the chase. Uh, Laban's caught up. Now there's confrontation. And there is confrontation, but it's not quite what it may have been. Laban catches up with Jacob, seven days of hard writing, and there he is. What have you done? Why have you deceived me? Oh, pot calling the kettle black, I think, here. They're both as bad as one another, aren't they? Um, neither one of them has played a straight bat throughout their time uh, of knowing one another and throughout their time together. Um, why didn't you tell me? We'd have had a party. I could have said goodbye properly. La 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 la. Well, you know very well that wasn't going to happen. Laban would have tried some other trick or ruse to try and keep him a bit a bit longer. And he's done seven years for each of the daughters. That's 14 years. And he's done six years for the flock. So that's 20 years he's been with him. Laban's just looking for ways to try and hold him, keep him, not let him go. Um, you know, I have the power to harm you. you. We didn't even say goodbye properly. I could hurt you. No, you can't. Not now, Laban, you can't. You know you can't. God has spoken to you. And anyway, why did you steal my gods? Well, of course, Jacob didn't steal them. Rachel did. Um, Rachel's got them in a saddlebag uh, and uh, is sitting on the saddle. Uh, <laughs> uh, and 
Jacob is entirely unaware of the fact that the family gods have been nicked. And isn't it interesting, by the way, Jacob, you know, has no idea about this. Laban is, Laban is talking about family gods. Well, they're clearly important to him uh, and clearly significant to him. But gods, they don't have the power to do anything, do they? The unseen God, who is at work behind the scenes in all of this, he's the one that has the power. He's the one that is um, moving the pieces on the board, as it were. He's the one that is the key mover and shaker in all of this. God's in name only. They're nothing. The God of Jacob's father, the fear of Israel, as he refers to him, he's powerful, he's significant, he can do things, he can shape and form events, and is doing that now, even as this story is unfolding. The family gods that Laban longs for, well, they need to be picked up and carried about the place. They need human beings to, to set them up and take them down. They need human beings to see they get from one place to another. They can't do anything. They're dumb. Ineffective. The living God. That's a different story. The God of Jacob's father. That's a different thing altogether. Where are my gods? Well, you know, search the camp, Uncle Laban. Um, if you find your gods, the one who's nicked them will suffer. Well, you know, they won't live. I'll kill them. Well, of course, Laban looks and looks and looks and he can't find them. Rachel's sitting on the saddle, on the saddle bags, and knows what she's done. And when her father comes into the tent where she is, or... Forgive me for not standing, Father, it's my period, I can't. Don't worry. And of course he doesn't disturb, he just leaves her. He's got nothing to accuse Jacob with now. Um, everything has been taken away from him. Every ground for wanting to try and harm him, every ground for wanting to hold on to him, it's all been taken away. There's nothing there. Search the camp. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll be very open with you. Find what, you know, look and see if you can find it. And of course he finds nothing. He's run out of steam now. He's got nothing left to accuse Jacob with. And Jacob naturally is uh, very angry. Uh, and we get his side of the story. You know, 20 years I've worked for you. Um, I've done whatever you wanted. You've changed my wages uh, regularly throughout that period. Uh, you've changed my terms of employment umpteen times uh, and I've borne it. And if it had not been for God and God's providential care of me, I would have nothing. This confrontation is words only now. Uh, nothing can be done to harm Jacob. Laban has no power. He can say things, but he can't do anything. Uh, <clears throat> had it not been for God's intervention, uh, this could have gone very differently, couldn't it? And it may have gone beyond words into something far worse. But nevertheless, 
even worse can be bad, as we know. So there's been a chase, there's been this confrontation, nothing, nothing can be done now uh, from Laban's side to harm Jacob. So what are we going to do? Well, we better come to some sort of agreement. And a covenant uh, is formed between the two. Um, there's nothing that Laban can do, and he realises he's going to lose everything unless they do come to some sort of agreement to make sure that this ends properly and it ends well. So they make a covenant and this tidies up one of the loose ends before Jacob can be restored to the bosom of his family. And God is described in many ways in the Bible. Um, Jesus talks about him as father and encourages us when we pray to use that terminology. When you pray, say father. Uh, and of course, when human beings were made, uh, they were made to enjoy that sort of close family relationship with God. There is, when you go to the beginning of Genesis and that story, that first story of creation and the human beings, you see an intimacy in the relationship between God and the human beings that he's made. And that has always been God's intent that we should enjoy that close relationship. Um, it didn't work out that way because we foolishly chose to listen to another voice. And there's always a choice for us, friends, always. Uh, the plan must be to choose wisely. Uh, there were lots of loose ends uh, for us uh, and a covenant needed to be made uh, before we could be restored to the bosom of our Father, Heavenly Father, and of course that was done for us in Jesus. And this was the covenant that laid that God laid out. Uh, I'll give you my son. My son will die in your place. Um, now, what do we need to do? We need to recognise that we're sinners, that uh, we need to repent, that is to turn around, uh, to stop living as though we were the most important person in the world, and to acknowledge that Jesus is the most important and should be the centre and the hub of our life. Uh, <clears throat> we need to acknowledge him as Lord and Saviour, uh, be baptised if we haven't been already, be filled with the Spirit and live for him. Live as though the gospel were true. Live as though you were a free woman, a free man, uh, living in relationship with God Almighty. That's the covenant, that's the terms and conditions really that are offered to us. That's the, that's the agreement uh, that brings us life and it bears thinking about. And I don't know whether you feel like you're running away from something like Jacob was. I don't know whether you, you know, like me, you're, you're fed up with everything that's happened over this past year and you're, you know, you're ready to make some sort of new start. Wherever you are, I think that, you know, the, there's an opportunity really just to reset everything. I think one of the things that the pandemic has done is that it's shown us what is important. What do we really need? 
for life and from life. And the thing that has become very apparent is that relationship is the most important thing in the world. We've, we've missed one another, haven't we? We've missed seeing one another. We've missed our family. We've missed our friends. We've missed simple human interaction. We've missed touch. We've missed sharing a meal with family and friends. We've just missed those ordinary things, stuff that you never pay attention to when everything is just trundling along. I think this has just given us the opportunity to reset everything. Now, the trick will be as as life opens up a bit more for us in the coming weeks and months, as it surely will. We must not forget what is important and what is significant to us. Relationship. Relationship with one another. And I would say the relationship with God. Have you managed to sustain that? Are you being attentive to what he is saying to you? I don't think it's an accident that we had a, a day of prayer and fasting last week um, at the beginning of Lent. I mean, of course, it's not we planned it. <laughs> but hopefully, you know, as you continue to reflect and think and pray. And be attentive to God and his word to you. You'll start to see what you might need to do to deepen the relationship with him. Uh, and as that happens, your relationship with others will benefit too, because that generally is what happens with God. So reset is what Jacob's doing. Uh, it's what we can do and it's what we should do. Ahmed. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you once again for the opportunity to come before your throne of grace and lift up places and people around the world that may need your help. And certainly need to know that they are loved by you and that you care about what is happening to them. So we pray for the people of Myanmar, um, the protests going on against the military coup. Uh, Afghanistan, Lord, we know that this is not a settled place yet and that there's a rise in Taliban and Islamic State activity. We're saddened to hear of the targeting particularly of women as NATO forces uh, consider withdrawing troops from the locality. We, we pray for those folk who have lost sisters, wives, daughters. We pray for the families of those female judges, journalists and activists who have been targeted and killed in recent weeks. We pray for the Afghan government and for Afghan security forces 
as they seek to re-establish law and order in that country. We pray that the international community will not look away, but will remember uh, that there is uh, an obligation here to see that things are done properly. We continue to pray for Hong Kong uh, as China asserts its authority across that territory. We pray for all those who are on trial uh, because of their desire to see democracy flourish and grow in that territory. We pray for our friends, for Chris, Ken, Adrienne and Hugh, Eric, Les, Dot, Margaret and Bob, Peter, Jesse, Dennis and Shirley, Mary, Jay, Terry, Naomi, Thelma, Nigel, Lynn, Graham, Lauren and Lewis, the family of Ron Mercer as they come to terms with his death, Gail, Andy, Graham and Jill. We gather up all of our prayers as we say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. We say the canticle together. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now go forth into the world in peace. Be of good courage. Hold fast to that which is good. Render to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the afflicted. Honour all people. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, rest upon you and remain with you always. Amen. Oh,